We are looking at Mark chapter 14, verse 22 to verse 26. Now, there is a saying uh, that families that eat together stay together. Cody Delistrati, writing in the U.S. magazine, The Atlantic, uh, agrees. He says this, After my mother passed away and my brother went to study abroad, the first thing that really felt different was the dinner table. My father and I began eating separately. We ate sandwiches in front of our computers and takeaway pieces while watching movies. Some days we rarely saw each other at all. Then a few weeks before I was about to leave for university, my father walked downstairs. He said, you know, I think we should start eating together, even if it's just you and me. Your mother would have wanted that. It wasn't ideal, of course, uh, Cody writes. The meals we made were not particularly amazing, and we missed the presence of mom and my brother. But there was something special about setting aside time to be with my dad. It was therapeutic. An exercise to talk and reflect on the day and even talk about recent events in our family. We chatted about the mundane things like baseball and television. And the discussions often led to discussions of the serious, like politics and death, of memories and the loss of man. Eating together was a small act we only took away. It only required 45 minutes of our time. Yet it was invariably one of the happiest parts of my day. That's what Cody writes and reflects. And of course, he's right, isn't it? Eating together is good for our families. And the family table can act as a unifier, a place of community, a glue for our family life. As I've been thinking about this, I've been challenged just for myself. How much time do I prioritize that? Have I organized my life in such a way that I can sit down with my wife and Abigail? Or am I living in such a way that's not, that's not possible? It's quite challenging, isn't it? And those of, us, those, those of you that have experienced those quiet times with your family, you know that families that eat together, stay together. And this is why in many countries around the world, the mealtime is treated as sacred. In France and Italy, for example, people do not rush a meal. They savor it, enjoying every bit of it and talking to one another. In many Mexican cities, townspeople like eating together with friends and family in central areas like parks or town squares. In Cambodia, villagers spread out colorful mats and bring food to share with loved ones like a potluck. They know eating together is good for us. This should not surprise us, of course, because when we open the Bible, we find that the God who created us also stresses the importance of eating together. You see, when God first rescued uh, his people Israel, he commanded them to have uh, a national annual meal together called the Passover meal. The meal was a celebration of the birth of the nation. About 1,500 years before Jesus, you see, the people of Israel were enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt. 
And after God sending many plagues to Egypt to loosen the iron grip of Pharaoh on his people, one night God decided to send a final deadly plague. He was going to send the angel of death. God was going to kill all the firstborn children of, listen to this, of everyone in the land, including the Jews, actually. The angel of death could not pass over the Jews simply because they were Jewish. In every home in Egypt of Jews and Egyptians, someone was going to die. The only way for anyone to escape is to do what God commanded. God said the people of Israel, in order to escape the angel of death, they had to kill a lamb and put the blood of the slain lamb on the doors as a sign of their faith in the one true God. And, they, and once they've done that, the slain lamb, which they had slain, of course, should be roasted and eaten by each household that very night, along with the unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And the Israelites, the Bible tells us, did as God commanded. And so when the angel of death came, they were safe. He passed over them. And that's why it is called the Passover. After that night of God's judgment, Pharaoh, of course, agreed to let the people of Israel go. And they began their journey, or the exodus, to the promised land. And since that first Passover, the people of Israel celebrated their deliverance, their exodus, with the Passover meal of roast lamb and living bread and bitter herbs. Now when we think about that, that national meal they, they were having every year, in one sense the Passover meal is just like any family meal. We might say it helped Israel stay together. Families that eat together stay together, so it did that. It helped them do life together, to talk, to share memories of the past. But it was much more than that, the Passover meal. The Passover meal reminded Israel who they were, and most importantly, whose they were, as I was saying at Bible study on Friday. This is the critical question for all of us, is to know who we are and whose we are. And that's what the Passover meal really was trying to get across. It was really focusing on their identity located within the God who owned them. You see, as they celebrated the Passover, they remembered that they belonged to the one true God, Yahweh, who rescued them from Egypt for himself. They were not like other nations. They were peculiar people, set apart for God who had carried them on eagles' wings and brought them to himself. The Passover meal, you see, kept the people of Israel together by keeping them visually focused on God. Their hearts focused on God's love for them. But most importantly, the Passover meal pointed them forward in time. It was an embodied hope. It pointed them forward to the future coming of the true Passover Lamb of God who would come in the future to save them, not so much from Pharaoh's iron grip, but from God himself, the wrath of God on sin. And if you've been with us for a while, you know we've been, this is the 108th sermon 
in Mark, and we have been looking at this person they longed for, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, the book of Mark is about the arrival of this Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible, the thing about the Bible is so amazing. What blows me up when I read the Bible is that it is one story from Genesis to Revelation. All of the books, they're all pointing us forward. And the task of any preacher is to keep reminding you that we are looking at six books written as a coherent story. There's nothing like the Bible. It's one story. And in this story, we are now in Mark, aren't we? In the middle of this story. Because the book of Mark is about the arrival of this Messiah, this God who God promised, our Lord Jesus. Mark is teaching us that Jesus is God himself entering human history to come and save us for himself. And this work of salvation that Jesus has come to accomplish, amazingly enough, is pictured in a special meal that Jesus celebrated on the night before his death. And today we are going to look at this meal, which is a meal within a meal, so to speak. It's in verse 22 to verse 26. I'll just read those verses for you again. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I said to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This meal described here is sometimes called the Lord's Table, or the Lord's Supper, or the Communion. There, there, are, many ways we can, there are many ways we can describe it. There are many things we can say about the Lord's Supper. But I want us to focus not so much what the Bible in general says about the Lord's Supper. We are in Mark, so I want us to focus on what Mark says about the Lord's Supper. But that means, because there's a lot to say, so I'm just narrowing your focus on this. We'll touch on other parts if necessary, but let us focus on Mark's, Mark's focus, so to speak, right? And uh, when we look at these verses, um, prior to these verses, we read that about Jesus eating the Passover meal with his disciples. Brother Ola read that for us, didn't he? Verse 16. This is the context. Verse 16 to verse 18, just glance on that. It says, And the disciples set out, went to the city, and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover, which is the Passover meal. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table, and, and as they were reclining at the table and eating. Jesus said, Truly I said to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. So he's having his Passover meal, the meal that God had instituted back in Egypt. So it is important for us when we understand the Lord's Supper, particularly in Mark, that we realize that it is within this broader context of Jesus having the Passover meal. That's so important. Now, the Passover meal is a beautiful ritual. And the Jews still celebrate it today, of course. It follows a special format. The meal is conducted by the head of the house. In this case, it is Jesus, and the disciples are the family. 
There are four points within the meal, during the meal, when the presider gets up and he holds a cup or a glass of wine and explains the meaning of the meal. And these four, these four cups of wine actually represents the four promises made by God to the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 to 7. You can glance on that in your own time. Essentially, the promises were, first of all, for rescue from Egypt, freedom from slavery, salvation by God's power, and for a renewed relationship with God. And so when, 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 when the Passover food is brought, uh, it comes in after the first cup of wine has been drunk. And by before, people start to eat the lamb. So they are just, the food has been brought in, they haven't started eating the lamb. They're eating other things, but uh, they, in the first cup of wine, they are just eating other things, they, they are not eating the lamb. That only happens, right? after the second cup of wine is drunk. So after the second cup of wine is drunk, then they get stuck in, into the meal proper. Now when the meal is nearly eaten, the presider, in this case our Lord Jesus, stands up and blesses the third cup. And he does that with a prayer of thanksgiving. The, the, the presider actually uses the words from Deuteronomy 26, uh, to bless the bread and the bitter herbs and the lamb by explaining what they represent. So, for example, he would show them that the bread, uh, he would show them the bread, and then he would say, this is the bread of affliction, which our fathers ate in the wilderness. After the third cup, the people sing the Psalms 116 to 118. This is the Aleo Psalms. And then they drink the fourth cup. And that marks the end of the Passover. So it's all built around the singing of the Aleo Psalms and uh, the four cups. The meal is wrapped. It's a beautiful ritual. Now, in all, why am I saying this? Well, you need to know that because it is most likely that Jesus says the words in Mark 14, verse 23 to 25, between the second cup of wine and the third cup of wine, just before the Passover meal is fully eaten. It's more or less been eaten, but he hasn't fully finished. And what Jesus does is that instead of the usual blessings about the bread of affliction, Jesus gives it a twist. Look at verse 20. Uh, look at verse 22 there. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And then, as they are about to take the third cup, Jesus moves on to verse 23. This is the third cup. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. But instead of taking, are you following me? After that, the fourth cup, which is what's supposed to happen, Jesus announced that the meal had come to an end. And they all got up and sang the hymn. Verse 
25. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine. I'm not going to have the fourth cup until that day when I drink it in you in the kingdom of God. And when they had, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus misses out what is called the consummation cup. And we'll come to that, of course, when we explore this further in the evening. But register that and come this evening, right? This is how the Lord Jesus inaugurated the Lord's Supper. And since then, the church has celebrated this meal. The, the question for us is this, this morning. What do these verses we just looked at teach us about why it is important for us as a church, to celebrate the Lord's Supper? That's a question I just want to ask. Maybe you've been puzzled by that. Maybe you're already a believer. You think you know the answer. You'll be refreshed, hopefully, by what we're looking at. But that's the question we're asking. Why is it important for us, as a church, to celebrate the Lord's Supper? And maybe a secondary question we might look at this evening is, who, who should celebrate the Lord's Supper? Well, there are four lessons we learn here. And this morning, as I said, I will tell you the first lesson only. And we'll look at the last three in the evening when we meet. So this sermon is actually a two-part sermon. The first lesson uh, is just one point for you to think about. is that the Lord's Supper celebrates the spiritual presence of Jesus among his people. The Lord's Supper celebrates, that's where we're going to start from. The Lord's Supper celebrates the spiritual presence of Jesus among his people. If you like the Lord's Supper, if you're going to know anything about the Lord's Supper, is that it is a meal with Jesus, with the Lord Jesus Christ himself present among us. It is a big deal, we might say. Look at verse 22. And as they were eating, he took, the Lord Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take. This is my body. Now, you may have heard those words many times. You may have read this verse many times. What you may not be aware of, or you may be, is this. When Jesus says, this is my body, in his mother tongue, the language of Aramaic, Jesus is literally saying, my person, or my whole being. That's what the Aramaic means. And in the Greek language that Mark is writing, his account, the word Mark uses here is not conveying the physical body of Jesus, but the being of Jesus. His essence, his person. And so immediately we should pause there and reflect, isn't it? Because any idea that the bread is somehow turned into Jesus is foolish. Plainly foolish. It is foolish because it is Jesus holding that. And let us not forget that Jesus also most likely partakes of this meal. <laughs> so it's not turning into anything, right? Otherwise, we're turning into Jesus, Jesus is still Jesus, right? Uh, it all goes very strange because Jesus is there, right? So just keep that in mind. So these ideas that it turns into anything, Jesus is misguided, right? What Jesus is doing, really, is, is saying, look, he's promising that as we break the bread in this way, it is a celebration of him himself being present among us. He, the, 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 
the bread, if you like, in this case, is, is Jesus communicating that I am giving myself to you. He's saying that whenever we take the Lord's Supper, Jesus is always going to be spiritually present among us. That's the first thing he wants them to understand. This is Thursday night, the night before his crucifixion. Right? And Jesus is communicating to them, yes, you're going to desert me a few times, but whenever you celebrate this, know that I am present with you. I am spiritually present. Not in the elements. He is present with them. When God enacted the first covenant at Sinai, we read in our prayer meeting this morning that that passage in Exodus 24, uh, God invited Moses and the elders to go up to Mount Sinai to eat and drink with him. And they ate in the presence of God. And now, 1,500 years later, God has come in Jesus to eat with us. That's what's so amazing about this. But unlike when God ate with the elders of Israel, you remember this morning, for those who were here this morning, 70 elders went up there. The others couldn't come. But the amazing thing is that our Lord Jesus, God the Son, has come to eat with all who are truly repentant sinners. All who truly follow him. All who are genuinely converted. All who trust in Jesus are now welcome to sit at the Lord's Supper and eat with God. With God himself present. We are invited to be in his presence. Now, of course, God is everywhere. But this is a means he has especially devised for us to understand that he's with us through this means of grace, the Lord's table. And so, beloved, understand this first and foremost, that the Lord's Supper, which you may regard as a boring subject, I appreciate that, right? It's not a, it's not a, you, you don't want to talk about a meal, you rather just eat it, right? <laughs> right? But understand this, beloved, that the Lord's Supper is different from other meals. The Lord's Supper is first and foremost a celebration of the never-ending spiritual presence of Jesus, God the Son, until we see him face to face. And this is why it is important for all true believers to take part in the Lord's Supper. It is you accepting an invitation from Jesus to a meal with him. It's nothing less than that. When we put the Lord's Supper in the diary, when he's here, it is God issuing the invitation to you morning and evening on twice a month. And one of the most sad things I've seen among us as a fellowship is that some of us do not even bother to come to the Lord's Supper at our evening meetings. We, feel, we just do the Lord's Supper when it's convenient for us. Think about that for a minute. If Queen Elizabeth invited you to go there now to Buckingham Palace, take the underground, with all the corona stuff kicking off, would you refuse? You wouldn't, would you? I mean, you would risk it all the way to Buckingham to have dinner with the Queen. Why would you do that? Because of the privilege. Because the privilege outweighs the risk. 
What more, beloved, our Lord Jesus, the high king of heaven, who invites you to come and sit at his table? Why would you willfully turn down an offer from him given to you to sit at his table? Why would you disregard his invitation? To willfully miss taking part in the Lord's Supper, if you're truly converted, is to show that you do not value communing with Jesus who has invited you to come to his table. That raises huge questions, doesn't it? It shows that we are struggling to acknowledge the authority of the high king of heaven on our lives. Our refusal to eat or be complacent about it is saying we are not family with him, actually. We are family by saying that we'd rather not be family. Imagine a family where people live together and don't ever eat. I had to think about that question. Imagine such a family. They never eat, they just they do their own thing. They come from work, or they do the back work. Or they're just late coming from you. Can we really call such a people a family? No. No. They're not a family. They're family in name only because they live separate lives. Now, I know there are so many complications in our lives, and you know, some of you are in very difficult family environments. I don't mean that as a critique of your family. I'm just throwing it out there for you to think and pray for that the Lord will help you in the families that you are to be a real family. And if you're, the, if you're a husband this morning, come on, get your act together, beloved. Right? This is a serious issue. We must ensure that the way we do family pays careful attention to how God has designed the family. We must learn to eat together. And if you think of getting married in the future, young, young man over there, others, you know, this is something to pray for, isn't it? As we think about what sort of family life we want to have. We want to have a family where we prioritize eating together because God has designed that for our good. A family where people just eat separately like that, they are living not as a family. It's a, it's a sham. It's just a name only. And most importantly for us as a church, if we are like that, we are, we are somehow we say we belong to the church of Christ, but we don't prioritize coming at the family table. Can we really lay out and claim and say we are a true family before Christ and we are family with him? If we don't, if we would refuse the invitation to sit with him? Of course not. It raises a huge question about our walk. There. And if you're truly converted and you haven't yet been baptized, right? And therefore you're not able to come to the Lord's table because you have not publicly affirmed your faith. That's, that raises huge questions. Because of course you have to be baptized to come to the Lord's table because that's the way you publicly show you're not living in rebellion against God. Right? If, you, if you're not dealing with that issue and you're baptized so you can come to the Lord's table, it raises a huge question about whether you're, you really know what God has saved you from and for. But there's another point here, isn't it? Missing out on the Lord's Supper also damages our spiritual growth. Because you see, the whole point of Jesus being present, why? Why is Jesus present with us through these special means of grace? He's present with us to strengthen our love and faith for him. When we take the Lord's Supper, we are exercising faith that proclaims afresh that we believe Jesus is alive. That Jesus has risen from the grave. He is alive. He is sat in heaven. And he is present among us through his Holy Spirit. It's an exercise of faith. Isn't it? 
And as we exercise our faith, we are being renewed and strengthened in our love and commitment to Jesus who is with us as we eat. So the first thing I want us to think about this morning is this. How seriously do you take this invitation from Jesus to be sat at his table? How seriously have you taken the Lord's Supper in your life? Are you taking every opportunity to accept our Lord Jesus' invitation to be at his table in this church? Or are you dangerously, recklessly, foolishly, dare I say, no offense intended, turning down his request? Are you becoming futile in your thinking in doing that? Something for us to pray about, isn't it? To think about. It's not just a meal. This is Jesus inviting us to be at his table. That's the first implication. Think about it. The second implication of this, lesson, this passage, uh, this particular lesson, uh, concerns our hearts when we show up to the invitation from Jesus to celebrate the Lord's Supper. This is still the first point. It's just an implication. The first one is, think about how regular you are. The second implication, think about how you come to the meal. Because you see, when someone important has invited us to eat with them, look, I've been privileged in my life to be invited by very important people and turn up to their meals. And I have to say, I, panic, I have panicked on my way there, just being very careful, dressing apart as it were. And I come there, but also I'm excited with joy. There is this two things, isn't it? Somebody important invites you. If you ever had that, there is, oh, there is that aspect of, um, think of a first dinner date anyway, that's that probably something important where somebody, you've asked for on a date before you met your wife, she accepted, you probably dressed very well, but you're also trembling with joy inside, isn't it? So, so we go to these important meals which we're invited to, first of all, with seriousness, reverence, and also mixed in with joy. Tremendous respect and joy. In the same way, when we come to the Lord's Supper, we have to come with a deep sense that we are having a meal. Beloved, we are having a meal in the presence of God. We are going up that mountain. No. Scratch that. God has come down the mountain for us and is eating with us. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that when we come to the Lord's table, we must not come in an unworthy manner. Ooh, I'm sure I have a sermon on 1 Corinthians 11. But 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 to 28 says this. I've said this at the Lord's table many times. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the blood in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Poise. Let me summarize that. Paul is just saying that we must not take the Lord's Supper without respect to its true will. We must not take the meal complacently and disrespectfully. Living in willful sin is that, but it means essentially respect the table. Respect Jesus being present. We must not come to the Lord's Supper as if we were just having a, a, a lunch at a diner somewhere with some, one of our friends. You might not come to the table mindless, like it's a mindless ritual as well. 
But we're just going through the motions. We must come to the Lord's Supper with a deep sense that we are going to eat with the Lord Jesus Christ, who is completely holy, completely pure. We are sitting down with the Holy God. There must be a deep sense of our sin. There must be a deep sense of our unworthiness. There must be a deep sense of us longing that we want to repent of any known sin and approach this table because we are meeting with the Holy God, not at my table in my house, but at His table among His people. Now, we're going to have a sermon about worship and meeting together, and I'm sure at the same point, would be made about worship. And the seriousness, we should treat our gathered worship. But we are talking about the Lord's table here. And beloved, think about the last time you took part in the Lord's Supper. How much did you prepare for it before you came to the fellowship? You knew it was happening in the morning. What were you doing Saturday night? Were you examining yourself? Were you be thinking, on Sunday morning, I'll be taking part at the Lord's table? I need to organize my Saturday in such a right way. I need to have slept on time. I need to have thought about what's going on in my life because tomorrow I'll be communing with the Lord. Think about that first day when Moses knew he was going to go up the mountain to eat with God. How much preparation would Moses have put in to be ready for that? Now, of course, Jesus makes us ready for that, but we must examine our hearts before we come before the table. Do you do that before you come to the Lord's table? If the Lord's Day was happening in the afternoon, in the, in, the, in the evening, do you spend the afternoon thinking about what's ahead of you and carefully reflecting that you are about to sit down at the table with the holy and righteous God? So, self-examination is the second implication you need to think about and your preparation for that. The last implication of the presence of Jesus at the Lord's Supper is that we must come to him with joy. I said that, didn't me. The joy of being in his presence. We are sinners eating with God. I mean, let that sink in. We are sinners eating with God. In the Old Testament, no one could get close, anywhere close to the presence of God, let alone sit with him. Let alone eat with him. And here we, we are at the Lord's table eating with Jesus. God the Son. How is this possible? It is possible because Jesus has come as a sacrificial Passover lamb. That lamb which was put on the doorpost 1,500 years before Jesus has come through. Jesus has been crucified. The wrath of God has now passed over all who trust in Jesus. That's how we can come before God. And amazingly, just as we read, didn't we, in, in Exodus 24, that it is after the covenant ceremony, verse 1 to verse 8, that we now, that, that Israel was able to go in and have that meal with the 70 elders representing them. In the same way, it's because Jesus has been crushed for our sins. Jesus has died. Jesus has suffered for us. Now we can go before God. We can enjoy his presence. That's why we are able to come before Jesus. Not dressed in our righteousness, but dressed in his. Oh, beloved, the spiritual presence of Jesus at the Lord's table every, every, every time we celebrate it should remind us that I am, it reminds me that I am accepted in the beloved. I have been welcomed home forever 
with Jesus. Through the blood of the Lamb. And oh, what a wonderful thing it is, isn't it? To know that I can never be separated with this God who loves me and gave himself for me in Jesus. You know, when you reach that point in your life and you know God like that, it's so comforting. You see, being a follower of Jesus is different from other religions. Our faith in Jesus is a living, personal, dynamic, intimate relationship with God. It's God coming down from the mountain to eat with us. First of all, to live in our hearts and then to just be there with us. Psalm 23 being lived out every day. Preparing the table before us in the presence of our enemies. Continually overflowing for us. Wow. The Lord's Supper is there simply put to remind us that God is with us. And it is wonderful to know that. And because God is with us, no matter how much we mess up, he will never leave us nor forsake us. If you've truly surrendered to Jesus, no matter how much you mess up, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Because it doesn't depend on you, you see. It depends on that sacrifice that Christ has paid for us. The Lord's Supper says to us, God is pleased to dwell with us. And no matter what the world throws at you, it says to you, he will hold you fast. And so if you're trusting in Jesus this morning, let this truth not only encourage you to take the Lord's Supper with joy, but let it also encourage you to push away the fears today. We are living in difficult times. People are very worried about their health as the coronavirus marches on. They are worried about their jobs. Companies are likely to fought. I just read this morning that the airlines want a multi-billion package. Where are we going to get the money from? We have Brexit to sort out. People are worried about the future. You bail out the airlines, you have to bail out others. There are loads of worries everywhere in these times we're living in. And it may get worse. Perhaps this is the last shaking. We don't know. So it's no more to worry, isn't it? But if you're a follower of Jesus, you see, the Lord has left you a visual image. Not just a visual image. He's left you something that you can test in your mouth. Those elements, as you take them, as you test them, they are the gospel being tested, isn't it? You are being reminded that Jesus is always present with you. Not in the element, but there with you as you eat. Beloved, it is beyond description. And I can go on for a while. Today I haven't got my watch with me, so I probably have gone on for a while. I can go on for a while, but let this sink in. It is beyond description that sinners such as us are now welcomed into the presence of the Creator God, the author of life, the majestic glory, as Peter reminds us. How can the one who holds the very fabric of time and space say to me, Chola, a sinner, you are now welcome at my table. You are now with me forever. Wow. I'll spend eternity trying to find that out. It's just grace, isn't it? And the only response we can give him is to give him thanks for setting before us the Lord's Supper to remind us of his abiding presence. And this evening, we will continue to explore the significance of the meal of Jesus. But let that take in first and foremost as you live here. That the reason we celebrate is because it reminds us that Jesus is present with us.
And that is something that if you haven't come to true faith in Christ, you need to consider. You are living in a world by yourself, really. But God is offering you his fellowship. He's offering you to be present with you. And so you should come to that position of true repentance and faith in Christ. Accept his offer of fellowship, which is embodied in that. And if you already trust in Jesus, and you haven't been baptized, well, as I said, you're missing out. Because, and you're spanning, yeah, you really have a better word I should use. You are rejecting Jesus' offer of that fellowship, that hand of fellowship as he's present with you there. Why would you do that if you have already repented? Set it right, become baptized, and join us at the Lord's table. And for those of you who trust in Jesus, well, I've already said, be encouraged by the real presence of Christ with us. Amen.